Kia ora. welcome to Under the Checkered Flag, MotoGP edition. I'm your host Kate, and we're just going to jump right in. The build-up to this weekend was all drama. I have to admit, I definitely fell for some of the drama. Some well-known journalists were going on and on about how visas weren't arriving, that they thought Friday was going to get cancelled. Apparently there was some snakes and a snake infestation on the MotoGP track at the Buddha circuit. I don't know. I fell for a bit of the hype, but maybe it was just because I was so keen on getting this Grand Prix hyped. Because... I'm just so excited that we've actually raced in India. I think it's an excellent market for MotoGP. I believe this because, number one, they are some of the, I don't know what you call it, they're the highest users of uh, motorcycle and scooter riders in the world. And it is a booming population. So I saw some statistics. They said that this weekend MotoGP got shown to 1.3 billion viewers that it normally wouldn't get shown to. And considering we are still in a time of a little bit of crisis, a little bit of unknown with viewership and the championship not really making much money, I think this is an absolutely excellent idea by Dorna. I know, Kate giving Dorna a praise. What world is this? But I think it's a great idea. Admittedly, the stands did look a bit empty this weekend, but honestly, I truly believe that that's because it was the inaugural Grand Prix. I think next year we would actually see a lot more people because they'd have more faith in the fact that this Grand Prix was going to go ahead. So, like me, if I was in India at this time, I'd think twice about booking my tickets because I wouldn't know if the race was going to go ahead and I wouldn't want to waste my money. I wouldn't want to be travelling across the country for something that may or may not happen. Because you've got to get there, you've got to pay for your flights, or you've got to pay for your train, or however you're getting there, it's going to cost money. Then you've got to book your hotel and pay for your hotel. And overall, it can add up really, really quickly, and you only want to be forking out that cash if you know you're going to actually see some racing. And boy, did we see some racing. Where shall I begin? As always... I'm going to start with Moto3. So, Moto3 brought an absolutely sensational battle. It reminds me constantly why it is my favourite racing. Because, admittedly, while I do like to hide behind the sofa sometimes when watching, because it can be a little bit spicy and a lot more dangerous than some of the other classes, it's just so fun and the racing is so close. And this weekend was particularly good because we saw perhaps one of the most thrilling last lap battles that we have seen in such a long time. So for context, we had basically a battle for second, third and fourth place. And now this was between... Um, I do apologise for my pronunciation. I'm constantly working on it, I promise. But this battle was between Ayumu Sasaki, Kato Toba, and Colin Vaya. So, Sasaki and Vaya are teammates. Sasaki is very much in the World Championship title fight. 
So everyone thought that Vaya would be taking a bit of a defensive move with Toba and helping Sasaki gain as many championship points as they could. It did sort of play out this way and it also didn't. So initially it started with Vaya taking the defensive move, then Toba manages to overtake him and then it's all on basically. So Sasaki and Vaya are just battling to stay ahead of Toba. They both get in front of him and then absolute disaster strikes because Vaya clips the back of Sasaki. Fortunately, Sasaki stays on. It does mean Colin Vaya knocks himself out of podium contention, what would have been his very first podium. It does also mean that Sasaki loses second place and so he goes into third place, which means Toba goes up to second and it was just so thrilling and it happened so late in the race and it was just one of those moments where you're like yes because you want the teammates to win because it's wholesome but you also want Toba to win because he's wholesome either way it was such a thrilling last lap battle if you watch any battle this it's got to be either this one or the one that happens later on the Sunday MotoGP which we will get to I promise but either way absolutely thrilling so that did mean Colin Vaya was knocked out. So in P3, like I said, we had a Yumi Sasaki. In P2, we had Kato Toba. And in P1, we had new championship leader, Jeweled, I suppose. New championship leader, Jamie Massia. He is tied with the rider who came fourth, which is Daniel Holgado. So... The Moto3 Championship isn't just alive and kicking, it is anyone's game. When I say anyone's game, it's only about four or five pilots' games, really. But still, as far as championships go, I think we can be really happy that we've got so many people in the championship fight. Not so much do we have that in Moto2, because we saw an absolutely dominant performance by Pedro Acosta yet again. I have to admit, I think the majority of the Moto2 grid is going to be looking forward to when Pedro Acosta goes to MotoGP because it means they actually have quite a solid chance of getting some results because his bad days are still good days. Admittedly, he has had a few stumbles this year, but nothing compared to, say, Kinnett, who crashed out in crash number 19 this weekend. Definitely a weekend for Aaron Kinnett to forget. One rider who didn't have so much of a weekend to forget is Tony Abellino. So Tony showed form when we were back at San Marino. So he showed a bit more consistency and he said he found something on the bike again. And he was definitely showing a lot more form this week as well. Definitely showing some of that potential and showing consistency. He also managed to keep his cool. Even when Pedro Acosta ran away with this race, Tony Arbolino just put his head down, settled for second, and it was such a strong race for him. So that's P1, which is Pedro Acosta, and P2, which is Tony Arbolino. But again, we had an absolutely sensational battle. I don't know if it's the new track vibes, I don't know if it's because Bood International Circuit is so new and so 
I suppose, balanced, really, because we've got some really long straights with some really sharp and tight corners. Really, I was looking forward to this track, and I'm so glad that the racing really provided what I thought it was going to provide. Because in Moto2, the most sensational battle was for P3. It was between Joe Roberts and Sergio Garcia, and boy, was it spicy. It was so close and so dramatic. In the end, Joe Roberts did manage to take that P3. Sergio Garcia had to settle for P4, but I think they can both be very, very impressed with the performances that they put on because it was honestly such good racing and it's something, I guess, that we are lacking a bit in Moto2. Moto2 seems like the class that's a bit more predictable. You know who's going to win, at least this season, I suppose. And you know the consistency and how it's going to go. So to actually get such an intense and such a good battle, it's so thrilling. And I'm just really happy. And I think both Joe Roberts and Sergio Garcia will be sleeping well this weekend, having enjoyed some really, really thorough racing. Now on to the MotoGP sprint. Oh my gosh, finally Mark Marquez is back on the podium. Admittedly, being a new track, I do think that this shows the pilots who are more adaptable and quite often I consider new tracks to be great at showing the pilots with the most skill and I think that's exactly what we saw here. So qualifying gave us a mixed bag of results for once. We had Joanne Mir and Marc Marquez go straight into Q2 for the first time as teammates. Wow, that's crazy. I can't even remember the last time that both Hondas got, uh, Repsol Hondas got straight into Q2. It was so bizarre, but it was so wonderful. And I guess it reinforced my theory. And this is just my theory that pilots who have pure talent pick up the new tracks quicker they adapt quicker because we still know that that honda's a pile of shit that honda hasn't miraculously got better overnight i think this was pure rider skill from both joanne Mir and mark marquez unfortunately for joanne Mir, he wasn't able to keep it going in the sprint race he crashed out of p4 which was really unfortunate because i did see a strong performance coming from him Marc Marquez was much more successful. He was in P3 on the podium and it was just some really good vibes to see him back up there. In P2 was Peko Bagnaia scoring some much needed championship points. However, he still lost out really because in P1 was Jorge Martin. Now, three points are three points. At least I believe it was three points. I may have to fact check myself there. But it means that Jorge Martin clawed some points back from Bagnaya, bringing him back closer and closer to being the world championship leader in this season. And I for one think this is great because it does mean we're seeing some more world championship spice. It means things could possibly be heating up. I want it to come down to the last race. I would absolutely love a satellite rider to take this championship. If it can't be Brad Binder, who is who I really, really want, I want it to be Jorge Martin. 
because I just feel like it would add so much more dynamic and the fact that a satellite rider could win would be so incredible and yeah I'm just hoping for that. Another really awesome mention I think should be Marco Bezzecchi. Now if you didn't get a chance to see the sprint what happened was in turn one on the first lap his teammate Luca Marini gave some friendly fire, runs into the back of Marco Bezzecchi, Luca Marini himself crashes out but he yeets Marco back to way down the grid and then Marco Bezzecchi put on a championship charge. He manages to claw back a whole bunch of places and ends in P5. Considering he got yeeted so far back in the grid, very, very impressive performance and it just shows how talented Marco Bezzecchi is. Another couple of mentions are going to be the two KTMs, one of them being Brad Binder and the other one being Augusto Fernandez. Now these guys were absolutely destroyed by yellow flags in MotoGP qualifying. First of all, in the practice, which is sort of qualifying really, Brad Binder got, was setting his hot lap and yellow flags came out, meaning he went straight into Q1. The exact same thing happened in Q1. He was on his flying lap, he was setting reds, and a yellow flag comes out, and oh my gosh, to be a fly in the wall in the KTM garage when that happened. Because we all know that Brad Binder could easily get through Q1 and go into Q2. He's got the pace. So it was absolutely guttering when it happens twice, and for them to get absolutely destroyed by yellow flags, which clearly set them up for not a great race because Brad's so far back. Fortunately, we do know he is a Sunday man, Brad Binder, and he did manage to gain so many places in the first three corners. He managed to get P4 in the sprint. Like Marco Bezzecchi, an incredible performance and one well worth noting. Another pilot to note is Augusto Fernandez. So he had the same thing. He was putting in some really strong performances and the yellow flags just destroyed what was going to be his performance. Really disappointing for the KTMs. It, it just felt like a bit of a kick in the guts for them a little bit, but at least they did manage to score some points with Brad Binder on the Saturday. The Sunday race showed us yet again how Brad Binder can just claw his way from wherever he is on the field and put in some strong strong performances. He ended up in P4 not only on the Saturday but on the Sunday as well. So let's talk about that incredible, absolutely incredible Sunday MotoGP race. So I'm actually gonna start with my most disappointing performances of this weekend and to be honest it's gonna have to be Aprilia I was hoping for really good things, especially when the report started to come in that this track was going to be low grip. We know Aprilia can't be mixed in low grip, but I really thought they may have found something. I don't know where I got this idea from. Maybe I just concocted it. Concocted? Maybe I just put it together in my head. I apologise. It's late on a Monday morning 
I don't know why I managed to stay up and do these. I should just do these the next day after work. But I'm like, no, I want to talk while it's fresh in my brain. And I'm still in that hype mode from what is an absolutely incredible race. Because it really was. And what was I? Yes, Aprilia. My apologies. I digress. I was hoping for more from Aprilia. Fortunately, we did see Maverick Vinales put in some strong racing. He did only end up in P8 in the Grand Prix race. He was the highest. Behind him was Raul Fernandez in P10. Miguel Oliveira. I did hear some reports that he had some oil issues on the Saturday. I don't know yet if that carried on to the Sunday. I'm gonna have to look it up. But it was just a weekend to forget for Miguel. Rule will be really happy with this P10, I think. It's showing, I guess, the potential that we all know is there behind the surface with him. And I really do want to see him put in some really strong performances because all of these riders are talented. We know Rule's talented. And I'm just really, really hoping that we do get to see the results that we do know are there. After San Marino, I think he did find something. So I'm just really hoping that this P10 position, which to most people doesn't sound too great. However, we do know that this is a really good performance rule. And I do think that he should take this as a big win. And I think he should take it on board, keep learning, keep growing, and continue pushing on with RNF Aprilia because a very solid result. Now Alicia Spargo. This was probably the most surprising of the weekend. Now, there was a part we saw, if you're watching the world feed, we saw in qualifying, I believe it was, there, his team sent him out too early and he got heated, like really heated. So you watch him go back to the box and he yells, at, it must be his crew chief or at least one of his team members, and he yells at them, and he's very heated. And I honestly think that probably set him up for a bit of a disaster weekend, because we all know, we all get heated, right? When you cool down, you're like, ooh, maybe that was a bit much. And I think that is exactly what happened to Elish. I think he cooled down, got a bit embarrassed by his actions, and then... He did make a public apology, very wholesome, showing what a great guy he is, taking full responsibility. And yeah, I think that just set him up for a bit of a back foot weekend. On that Sunday, he crashed out. It, yeah, it just felt like it was coming, to be fair. I think he'll reset, he'll chat with his family because we know he's such a family man. He'll chat with his team and I think Coming into Mategi this weekend, I think we're going to see a really redemption performance. At least that's what I'm hoping. Because like I said, Aprilia were just not where I wanted them to be this weekend. Who was where I wanted them to be this weekend? Was Repsol Honda. In fact, all of Honda in general this weekend. Because I don't know if this is the first time this season, but it feels like it's the first time this season. Every single Honda on the grid scored points. I feel like we should have a party for this alone. Not only did every single Honda on the grid score points, the highest scoring Honda 
was Joanne Mir on the Sunday. Props, my bro. Honestly, I can't say how happy I am. He scored 11 points. He looked strong, especially after crashing out on the Sunday. I think this is the confidence boost that Joanne Mir has so desperately needed. I think this will help him hold on to himself and Honda. And I really hope it's the start of something more positive. Admittedly, I don't think Honda's brought anything new. I don't think this weekend is the catalyst to a winning streak or a stronger performance streak because I just don't think they have it. I just think that it shows how incredibly talented Joanne Mir and Marc Marquez are. Marc Marquez, of course, across the garage from Joanne Mir. It was like roles reversed. Joanne Mir crashed out on Saturday. Mark Marquez crashed out on Sunday. Being a Sunday race, Mark Marquez did remount, put in some strong race performances, and still managed to finish MP9. The guy's incredibly talented, and managing to score seven points when you've crashed out, uh, it's Brad Binder-esque, I suppose. And it's just truly incredible. So, for context, Mark Marquez crashed, goes right down the grid. He still finished ahead of seven riders. Yes, my math is correct there. I had to double check myself. Seven different riders. Which just goes to show that he still got it. We need to remember that Joanne Mir and Mark Marquez and one other pilot that we're going to talk about soon, they're world champions. We know they have the talent. And I don't give a shit about what anyone says about Joanne Mir's championship. He won that fair and square. He won perhaps one of the most competitive championships years we've had in a very long time. He is a multiple world champion and he is deservedly so. And this weekend just reinforces that to me. It reinforces the fact that he is such a talent and he is having a horrible, horrible year. But I really hope that this just goes to show that it will turn around Vonda and it will turn around for Joanne Mir because losing either one of those off the grid right now would be a true loss to MotoGP. So from that high, we're going to go to another very, very low. Now, if you watch the race, you know who it's going to be. It is current world championship leader, Peko Bagnaya. Now, there seems to be this thing where Peko's following someone and he's doing a really good job of keeping up with them and chasing them and fighting with them. Some clean but harsh overtakes, some clean but harsh defending maneuvers. And he does it really well and he was doing it so, so well this weekend in the main Grand Prix with Jorge Martin. So naturally, in true Peko Bagnaya form, he gets in front of Martin. He starts to pull away and you're like, cool, Peko's going to check out now. He's going to put the hammer down. He's going to start catching the leader of the race. But for some reason, for the first lap or three, after Peko Bagnaya overtakes someone, that man is in danger. And he's in danger of doing exactly what he did in the main Grand Prix race today. And that is cause himself to crash. When it happened, 
if you're in the Discord group, you can just know when it happens because someone's like, Pecco's crashed. And then everyone's just like, oh, flipping heck again. Because it's this common theme. And don't get me wrong. We all know Pecco's talented. He's Jorge Lorenzo-esque, as I sort of refer to him to. He's clean. He's tidy. He gets ahead. And if he starts ahead, he's got the race in the bag. I have no doubt about that. But it's when he's battled someone and then has to pass them. And then, I suppose, has to pick his own breaking points. Find his own rhythm after he's been following for someone for so long. I don't know if he overthinks it or if he underthinks it but all I know is that he does something wrong admittedly this weekend we did see from the warm-up rate warm-up race I suppose I call them all races because whoever finishes p1 it probably gets a little bit of dopamine gets the dopamine hit and it's like yeah I'm p1 but we saw in the warm-up that Pekka Bagnaya was not happy with the bike it was jerking a little bit more the rear was not as controlled as we've seen it to be and I don't know yet if this had any impact on what caused him to crash it did look like from the replays that he lost the front but still if you're trying so much to protect the rear you're gonna lose the front just out of you know reactiveness and he crashed and that's an absolute disaster for Pecco I know he made such a big comeback last year and when in that championship fight, he can be so strong. But he was looking at 20 points. Not only was he looking at 20 points, he was looking at gaining points, four points to be precisely, back. Well, not back. He was looking at putting four more points between him and Jorge Martin. So this is a disaster. This is an absolute disaster for Pecco because rather than gain four points back on Jorge Martin, he's lost 20 to him because Jorge Martin managed to wrestle his bike into P2. And I'm going to come back to that point. But Jorge Martin stayed on the bike, which means he did collect 20 points, which brings this world championship fight back down to 13 points between the top two pilots. That's incredible. And not only that, Marco Bezzecchi is only 44 points down from Pekka Bagnaya. Remember coming into this weekend that Jorge Martin was 36 points down. Now he's 13. We still have seven races to go. Seven races and seven sprint races. There's an incredible amount of points still up for grab here. This world championship is truly wide open now. And I think that is so exciting. I think it's great. We've got two satellite riders on the cusp of beating a factory rider. Yes, they're all Ducatis, but oh my gosh, we have a championship fight all of a sudden. And Pekka Bagnaya is going to be going to sleep and going, what the heck just happened? He was the clear favourite. He's been the clear favourite all season long. Admittedly, a couple of races ago, he got his legs run over. That sounds so mild when I say it like that. And we know it was a truly traumatic incident. And maybe we'll look back and be like, this is when the championship changed. But this weekend that's just been, we cannot ignore how strong Jorge Martin is. 
So I'm going to come back to that point of Jorge Martin wrestling that bike. So Jorge Martin was one of the only pilots on the grid who chose a medium rear tire. Most of the others chose a soft rear tire. Unfortunately for Jorge Martin, this gamble did not pay off, not one bit at all. So he had to overexert himself to get the bike to do what he wanted, to try and keep up with Marco Bezzecchi and then try and fight with Pecco Bagnaia and later in the race Fabio Quattararo as well. He really had to give it his all. And we know these guys are incredibly, incredibly fit. They uh, train like they're running marathons and they are throwing themselves around on these bikes. Jorge Martin was doing that and then some this weekend. Unfortunately for Jorge Martin, he did have to put in so much extra energy. It does look like in the main race, he did unzip his leathers at some point. Now, this is a little bit of a scandal, a little bit not, depending on how you see things. So a couple of years back, Fabio Quattararo got in lots of trouble. He got a three-second penalty because he unzipped his his lippers. Forgetting how to speak today, it seems. He undid his leathers during the race, or there was a malfunction. Fabio Quattararo did remove his chest protector, and it is believed that that is why he got the three-second penalty. Jorge Martin was told to do his leathers back up, or he saw himself on the big screen and did his leathers back up, and then that was that. He didn't receive a penalty, and he did finish P2 on the podium. I personally, and this is just my personal opinion, I believe that he probably undid the zip himself. The reason for this is purely based on what we saw after the race. So rather than ride his bike straight down to Park Ferme, Jorge Martin pulls up in front of his garage and basically collapses on the ground. So he pulls his bike up, his engineer stops the bike and Jorge Martin is just begging for water, basically. And his mechanics just basically throw it at him. They throw it at him, they throw it on him, they throw him in his leathers. And he needs help walking. It shows that he was absolutely cooked. And we need to remember that while it was, I believe, about 35 or 34 degrees Celsius, the humidity was incredibly high, 70 to 80%. They were going to be cooking, and Jorge Martin was wrangling that bike, and I'm, yeah, I'm glad they shortened the race distance, because, like I say, he was cooking, the bike was cooking, and he got it back to the box, and he needed hydrating. He was definitely dehydrated. So that happened, he got to Park Ferme, managed to walk with some support, and then it does look like he fainted. Fortunately, medical was on the scene right away. He got some fluids. He managed to come back, I suppose. He did manage to podium, but he looked like a fragment of himself. Fortunately, we have seen updated social media posts showing that he's okay and things like that. So, very fortunate, but it does raise the question about maybe we try and move the Indian Grand Prix to a bit of a cooler time of year because... 
it was quite a scary thing to see Martine in such bad shape, especially considering how hard these guys work. Admittedly, next year, he'll probably go for the softer attire, but that makes no difference to me. Personally, I think Martine started suffering before the race ended. We saw him make a very odd run wide. See? English, not Englishing. He ran wide in a very odd manner on the last lap. So this just felt a bit off. So he ran wide, he cuts back onto the track, and all of a sudden the person fighting for P3 is there. And it's Fabio Quattararo. Another world champion who just shows that he's still got that skill, he's still got that talent, and at these new tracks, I think that we see those talented riders really show themselves. So he cuts back in, he goes straight for the position that Jorge Martin has sort of just given up by running wide. Jorge Martin sees this, he immediately goes on the aggressive, I suppose it just sort of jazzed him into action, realising he could lose his P2, and he wanted these extra four points. So for P3, you get 16 points. For P2, you get 20 points. At this stage of the championship, every single points count. And so Jorge Martin just seemed to spur back into action. And he pulls a very aggressive overtake on Fabio Quattararo, who admittedly takes it on the chin. He, you know, doesn't let himself get flustered by this at all. And I'm just very impressed with that overtake. I think it's probably the overtake the season so far. Aggressive, a little bit bold. And if it had gone wrong, it would have gone very, very wrong. But thankfully, it was a nice clean overtake in the end. And it was just really cool to see. So Jorge Martin did keep that P2 position and Fabio Quattararo was in P3. So, so good to see for Fabio Quattararo. Like Honda, I do not think at all that this means Yamaha are out of the woods. I don't think anything like that at all. I just think it shows a lovely, strong performance for a Japanese manufacturer. But I think it comes down to who was on the bike rather than anything else. So now we're going to talk about the man in P1 and what a performance it was. We spoke about him briefly earlier in the race when he clawed back many positions after his teammate yeeted him to the moon. This is Marco Bezzecki. So this man checked out straight away. He put on a performance that just made you reminisce about Rossi. It was a clean and tidy performance. He ended up winning the race but he didn't just win, he absolutely dominated it. So he won by eight seconds. Not only eight seconds, I believe the gap was 8.6 seconds. So for context, between Jorge Martin in P2 and Fabio Quattararo in P3, there were two hundredths of a second. Marco Vizecchi was eight seconds up the road. Absolutely dominant performance by him we do talk about him now in the title fight we sort of have this three-way title fight that we definitely can't ignore in my opinion 
and that is going to be t- between Marco Bezzecchi, Pecco Bagnaia, and Jorge Martin. I think we could see some serious spice coming into the end of the year, and I am definitely down for it. But overall, those are my big winners and my big losers. I will do a quick podcast later in the week, just because we've got a double header. We're coming to the Japanese Grand Prix at Motegi, but this one's getting a bit long now, so I will see you later in the week. Like and subscribe if you feel like it. Have a good one.